friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I am Nika Spaulding, and we are pressing on the book of Jude. And I believe today we have finally done it. We have finished what will now be a four-part series on Jude 5 through 10. And so uh, there's just a lot. There's a lot in this book. And so we're going to wrap it up today. And so um, let's just jump right in the text, and we'll figure out what this whole disputing over the body of Moses thing is. And we'll wrap up this section and then press on to the next one tomorrow. And so here is the word of the Lord. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt— afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire." Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. This is the word of the Lord. All right, friends. Well, as we've talked about, uh, Jude is using examples from the Old Testament. He's using those examples to draw parallel lines between those examples and the false teachers today. And then those parallel lines say, like, your behavior is like this behavior. Ergo, their destruction will be your destruction. It's a really good syllogism between your idiots. They were idiots. Guess what happened to those idiots? Guess what's going to happen to you idiots? Ding, ding, ding. Okay, so now we are wrapping up this section, and he's going to use one last example. Now remember, in yesterday's, or what would have been last week if you listened to this when it when it happens, um, he has just compared these false teachers to, to the Sodom and, and Gomorrah folks who are trying to defile the angels, right? And he, te- and he basically compares their behavior to that, and then he says, listen, they're their disgusting and moral uh, like behavior is doing these things it is it is basically it's like you know it's being immoral whatever and then he says it's blaspheming the glorious ones which we unpacked what that is it's most likely what jude is saying is hey there's a certain order to the way things should go the way that the law was mediated by angels and you guys by just dismissing all of that you guys are basically just saying like we do whatever we want. We have no authority. The authority that was handed down to humanity, which is the word of God, that authority that was handed down and mediated by angels, by us just doing whatever we want and also just sleeping with whoever we want and saying whatever we want and appealing to our own authority, you are blaspheming the glorious ones. And he says, listen, even the archangel, and this is where we pick up today. So he says, yesterday, hey, you idiots are doing this thing. And he's like, listen, not even Michael the archangel behaves the way that you all do. And so what does he mean by this? Well, some people think that this passage is basically saying that we need to be polite to the devil. And it's like, you know, even Michael wasn't rude to the devil, therefore we shouldn't even be, I don't like, I don't think that's what's going on here at all. Instead, what I think he's doing is I think Jude is again appealing to this well-known Jewish cultural, like understanding that he and his readers share. Now, where is this source material? Like, where do we get that Michael argued with the devil about Moses's body. <laughs> uh, 
It's a good question. Okay, so this is why we have to spend four days on five verses. Okay, most likely what's happening here is Jude is referencing a a piece of literature that we frankly really don't know for sure is, is still fully intact. It's called the Testament of Moses. It was believed to have been written either in the first century or maybe a little bit later in the Palestine area. It's pseudepigrapha, and we've used this term before. Pseudo is like fake or sort of pigrapha writings, so it's sort of writings. And, and pseudepigrapha is very popular, and what you do is you name it after a very famous person from the Old Testament. So, you you know, you, Moses, so obviously Moses has been dead for a long time. He, there's no way he's around in the first century. He's been dead for 1,500 years. But what people would do in the Jewish culture is they would write letters and it would use a lot of Jewish themes and they would borrow stories from the Old Testament and then highlight them and maybe expand them. And so this is one of those things. Here's the deal, though. We don't actually have a copy of it in its original languages. We are finding, like, there's copies of it written in Latin that has a translation. There are people in church history that reference the Testament of Moses. But all that to say, we don't know for sure. But this idea of... Michael battling the devil is not a new idea, okay? So even if, like, the Testament of Moses, where we think this story is coming from, this direct story of Michael battling the devil for the body of Moses, but we have Daniel 12 calling Michael the great prince, and this is, and Daniel 12 is about the end times, and so in our biblical literature, we recognize that angels are a part of the created order, that the triune God, when he made the creation, when he made the heavens and the earth, when he made all of that, we understand through the scriptures that they're, part of that creation is this angelic realm. Like that's that's a part of the creation. Like this isn't just like fairy tale stuff. This is this is real. And Michael is referenced in the scriptures multiple times. And he's referenced in a significant way. He is one that is set apart. And so you've got, um, he's called the great prince there. In, in Revelation 12, he's literally fighting the devil. Okay, so this idea that Michael and the devil would square off is not a unique idea to the Testament of Moses. It's not this very obscure idea. It is a very obscure text, but, but this idea that they'd square off. And he's called in the ascension of Isaiah, another pseudepigrapha. Again, Isaiah, big prophet. We have the ascension of Isaiah, another pseudepigrapha text. Michael is called the chief of the holy angels. So this idea of like archangel, like of all the angels, like within the angelic realm, there's order and structure. Michael would be at the top. Um, from First Enoch, which is that same Jewish passage that we referenced before, was talking about the fallen angels. Uh, Michael is considered one of the top four, the top seven. Like he's considered like one of the guys. Okay, so what's happening in this passage? Well, when Moses dies, which is a historical event, Moses dies. He doesn't get to go in the promised land. Remember, because he strikes the rock. And he's how long are we gonna contend for you guys? And God's like, I'm sorry, we what? What now? Hmm? Who's saving the people? And um, and so Moses learns a hard lesson, and God says, hey, you can't go into the promised land because you presumed things that are not your own. And so Moses is like, okay. And so Moses dies, and we get this really weird ending about <laughs> Moses' death, okay? And what's so funny about this is actually, y'all ever just like sit in your bed at night and somebody texts you late at night? And for me, because I'm old, late is like 1130. And somebody, and like when you get those late night tests, like I don't know what yours say. Like, I don't know if you're like, hey, you wanna go on a Taco Bell run? Or like, hey, uh, just watched a great movie. I think you should, like, I don't know what people text you, but these are the kind of texts I get late at night. Um, and it was this, hey, who buried Moses' body? I kid you not, that is a text I got last night. 
And so I was like, I don't know. I'm glad you asked. I'm actually studying that right now. Uh, And so, and the reason why the friend was asking is at the end of Moses's life, it's a very weird thing that happens is because Moses, we think, wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. At the end of Deuteronomy, there's this really weird part where Moses, who who wrote Deuteronomy, Moses writes Deuteronomy, and then Moses writes about his own death, which, of course, we don't think happened. Most likely what happened is Joshua finished out the book of Deuteronomy. But this is what it says about his death. And it says, And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. This is God talking to Moses because he's not going to get to go in the land. I will give it to your offspring. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. You must never go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses is 120 years old and blah, 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 blah. Okay, what? Okay, who's the he? Who buried Moses? And why does nobody know? Like, did Moses, like, die? And then who who buried Moses? Now, this is really important in the land of like Israeli culture and history, because burials are a big deal. And if you are an Israelite and you are in good standing, you are worthy of an honorable burial and they take care of their dead. It is a disgrace to not have an honorable burial. In fact, it's one of the things that's most unbelievable about Jesus when he dies is that even Jesus who dies on a cross gets an honorable burial, which is very odd given what's going on because he's, you know, he's being crucified for crimes. Honestly, he didn't commit, but that's okay. And so he shouldn't get an honorable burial because he dies a criminal's death. And yet Joseph Arimathea gives him an honorable burial. So who buried Moses is a good question. uh, And one that has people texting me at 1130 at night add complexity to that question is now we have these Jewish literature pieces that talk about um, there's this court scene essentially that's being set up. Now, a court scene with the devil accusing God's people, not new. Zechariah even has a scene like that in Zechariah 3 where Joshua is being accused by the devil and and Joshua's like, "Mm, I ain't having this. Okay, so this idea that the, the devil as the accuser is a very uh, consistent Jewish cultural understanding. And frankly, it should be as just like a Christian understanding as well. It shouldn't just be Jew- like we as Christians should understand that the devil is an accuser. He goes around accusing us of things. We should know this. He does it in our own heads all the time. You are unworthy. You are not good enough. I know what you did last summer and yada, yada, yada. Okay. So imagine now in this cultural understanding, what what the sort of belief about Moses, like sort of the the myth around Moses's death is this. Moses dies. The enemy comes in and says, Moses is unworthy of an honorable burial because da-da-da-da, he's a murderer. Which, if you remember, is actually true. Moses does murder a man in his early years before he flees off into the wilderness, okay? So the enemy comes in and he's like, hey, he does not deserve an honorable burial because he's a murderer. The archangel is Moses' defense lawyer, okay? Michael is the one coming in and he's like, okay, I am going to be an advocate for Moses on this behalf. What is Jude's point, though, in bringing up this crazy story? His point is is even though the devil's standing there and he's being a total jerk because that's what he does and he's being an accuser and he's ridiculous, Michael does not say, screw you. Michael does not flip him the bird. Michael does not just like wail on him, even though 
you know, Michael's going to battle the devil later on. And even though the devil is a jerk, what does Michael do? Well, in the story of the Testament of Moses, he appeals to the authority of the judge, which is presumably Jesus here because Jesus has come to judge the living and the dead. And so rather than Michael taking his own authority or being an authority unto himself or just deciding to get out of accordance of like, instead of him taking matters into his own hands, And being not only the defense lawyer and the judge and the executioner, he decides to be humble, to recognize his place, and he appeals to the authority of the judge and says, okay, you judge then. And then we are believed that what, how it ends up is that obviously, well, we don't know, we don't even know where Moses, anyways, it's a crazy story. What I think we're supposed to presume is that God judges that Moses deserves an honorable burial. God himself buries Moses which is wild. And I don't know, like I like some, and what's crazy too, is you think about like Jesus goes and he has that Mount of Transfiguration Moses moment and like Elijah and Moses are there and the, and the disciples, some of them get to see it. Cause you remember, they're like, we should build, you know, huts and we should like, this is a holy place. Like we should, whatever. And then they're like, no, you don't really get the point and whatever. Like, I, I don't know. I just, part of me would have been like, Moses, hey, Moses, where's your body, man? Like who buried you, man? But if you think that God buried him and Michael defeated the enemy by appealing to God's authority, then I guess that wouldn't be something you would wonder about. But I wonder about it. And now you do too. So you're welcome. I hope you are up late at night texting people about where they think the body of Moses is. All of that though. Okay. So that was a whole lot of crazy. Again, we read through Jude and all of a sudden we should stop. We click on the link. We open up the link. It opens up to a Bible Wikipedia page. We get to learn all about what's going on here. But why, 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 why is Jude using it is ultimately the question. Well, again, I think he's linking the story. I think he's linking the story to the understanding that the false teachers, again, they appeal to their own authority and they reject the order of created things. Like they, they are an an authority unto themselves. And I think what Jude is saying here is he's, I think he's building his continual point. Like he's used this three examples from the Old Testament. We've got our numbers example. We've got our rebelling uh, angels example. And then we've got our Sodom and Gomorrah example. And then he says about these false teachers, he's like, listen, they do these things, they do these things, they do these things. And not even Michael would do these things. And I think what he's trying to do is I think he's amplifying his point. I think he's saying, listen, these part of what's so ridiculous about these false teachers and part of why they're doing this is because they believe that they are a law unto themselves. The reason why that they reject authority is because they don't believe anybody has authority unto them. Rather than sitting under the authority of the law, sitting under the authority of the teachers of the law, sitting under the authority of, which again, Jesus comes to fulfill the law, I get that, but the new spiritual law that's written on our heart, rather than sitting under that and they reject it, it's because they think they're an authority unto themselves. Rather than uh, honoring the created way that the angels had mediated the law and mediated the created order. They just make a mockery of the created order, wanting to do whatever they want. And so again, they think they're a law unto themselves. And Jude's point is, is listen, if anybody's allowed to be a law unto themselves, like if we could like maybe excuse somebody, if they were a little bit arrogant, like if somebody was like, listen, I listen, I know ultimately Jesus is the ultimate authority, but I've been rocking with Jesus for a long time now and you're starting to tick me off. So I'm going to pound your face in. Like if anybody was going to do that, you would think it'd be Michael, the archangel. 
right? I mean, he's giving, like, he's called the prince of the angels. He's the leader of the angelic realm. He is going to get to battle Satan in the end. In Revelation 12, like, there's this, like, cosmic understanding that, that Michael's been rocking with Jesus. Michael has been walking with the Trinity. Like, God creates the angels, and he's got Michael. And rather than that going to Michael's head and being arrogant, Michael's been rocking with them, being their advocate, being their worker, being their, you know, whatever I'm sure they ask of him, he's doing that stuff. And then he gets to this court scene and you can imagine the devil's like, yeah, Moses is a murderer. And you can imagine Michael wanting to flex a little bit, right? And he doesn't. <laughs> like talk about an example of humility. Like he just doesn't. And rather than appealing to his own authority or thinking he's a law unto himself or being like, yo, I've been rocking with Jesus a long enough time that I think I can speak on his behalf. Like I, I know what he's going to say rather than doing any of that which would be very human, right? Which is the irony of this because Michael's an angel. Anyways, he appeals to Jesus and he says, you judge rightly, right? The humility to say, I don't, I don't have to be a law unto myself because the one who, me- who mediates the law, the one who's going to judge, the one who's sitting there with the gavel in his hand is the perfect and good and right judge. Therefore, it would not be a service to anyone for me to be a law unto myself because the only one who has ever judged perfectly is sitting up there on his appropriate throne and in his appropriate judge's seat. And when he smacks the gavel, all will be right. So why would I get in the way? And Michael understands that. And so we have this story. It's amazing. Now, do I think this is a real story? I don't I don't I don't know. I don't want to Here's what I want to say. I think so many times as moderns we make too little of the angelic realm. Right? Like I, I just think we do. Like I think we think those stories are maybe ancient stories or people who are a little less in advanced believe that or whatever, but like listen, it's a part of our Christian heritage. It's literally in our scriptures. Like to say you don't believe in angels is to say you reject certain parts of the scripture. Now, they're not like those aren't the essential parts of scripture. Like I don't I don't think like that means you're not a believer, but I think it means you're reading the scriptures in a modern mindset that you're rejecting much of what believers throughout history believe to be true. Okay, so, but do I think this specific story of like a courtroom scene and Michael and the devil are battling over Moses' body, do I believe that that happened? I don't know. I don't, I lean toward no, but that's probably my own biases I'm bringing, right, to the to this understanding of what's going on here. Plus, it's not in the scriptures. Like, it's not, it's not in there. I do think it's weird. I think the ending of Deuteronomy is super weird. Like, I, I don't have a good explanation for that. Like, I would love to know what, what? So I don't know if, like, other people in, in Jewish culture were like, what, at the end of that as well? And so they created this story to explain the what. Like, I don't know if that's what's going on here. Or I don't know if it was just one of those stories that Moses, you know, or Joshua told people and and so it became a story that wasn't necessarily scripture but the story grew like I don't know I don't know but what I know is this is that Jude's point holds up regardless if this is a true story or not Jude's point is he's using an example that people would understand that listen you are not a law unto yourself is ultimately the point that he's making and so we can like back up, like now we're going to back up and go back to 30,000 foot view because we've been doing a deep dive all week, right? We've done four episodes on five verses, which is crazy. But these four, five verses are like, I mean, Jude's using, he's just pulling stories from all over the place. But what's, what's his main point in this little time, like in this little area? He's got these three Old Testament examples. Then he declares, you false teachers are just like these examples. You think you are a law unto yourself. And so let's back out the camera and just say, that is what I think Jude is trying to communicate. Listen, you don't understand. Like he ends this section with, you you claim to have higher knowledge. Like you claim to see into the angelic realms, but your behavior reveals that you just root around instinctively like the animals that you are. 
you claim to be in the angelic realm and yet your behavior is nothing better than than animals rooting around looking for for food and lust and pleasure like you you are so earthly you you are looking very unhumanly even you are almost animal like that instinctively language is meant to reveal listen you claim to have higher knowledge and yet you're foolish you act like my dog Corey or my cat Clive well Clive's very sophisticated I take that back you act like my dog Corey right you you seek after treats like I can get my dog to do almost anything if I have a if I have a treat <laughs> like and she's really smart like Corey is a very smart dog as as far as dogs go but listen if it smells like peanut butter I could probably get her to do anything and so here are these false teachers claiming to have this authority and they claim it based on their own visions and they claim it based on their own behavior and yet Jude is reminding them there are other people who have acted like they were a law unto themselves. There are other people in history who have acted like they had the right to do these things. And, and I'm telling you this to remind you, how did that end for them? And so what's our so what for us? I think we all can... May, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm speaking too much in my own experience, but I think maybe you guys are like me in this, and so I'll, I'll just say, I think most of us, while it's easy to sit in my seat of judgment and be like, you guys are idiots, you false teachers, the reality is I think we all kind of like to be a law unto ourselves. Right? I think that's a really human thing. And I don't think it always starts out evil, right? I think there's even a sense of like, because we walk with Jesus, we know him so well. We've been rocking with him that, hey, okay, maybe I can start to do things because I have, I have the ability to do some things because I've learned some things, right? I know what's good. I know what's right because I've been, I've been walking with Jesus for so long. But if we're not careful, like we, we like start walking sort of independently and suddenly our source is no longer him. We're not abiding in him. We're not getting our wisdom from him. We're not coming back to him. And suddenly we're just kind of walking down our own path thinking like, I got this. I, I got this. And we start making decisions that are based on wisdom and things like that, based on our own wisdom rather than his. And I, I think that while there's the extreme example of these false teachers who are going around and they're pursuing less of the flesh and they're, they're leading people into, like, like, I don't think many of us are itinerant preachers who are going out trying to take people down the wrong path. But if you are, stop it, stop it now, repent now. But most of us aren't, right? We're just like, run-of-the-mill Sally's and Jimbo's and whatever like we're just if you're listening to this chances are you're interested in things of the faith so you're probably trying to walk with Jesus and all of that and so I don't I don't think the harsh warning for these false teachers would necessarily apply like I don't think I can just take that yoke put it on you and be like therefore don't go lead a cult right I, I just don't think that many of us are in that danger but I do think it is so tempting and easy to want to have a lot unto ourselves to want to sit in the seat of judgment when there's already a judge. To want to declare what is good and right when God has already declared what is good and right. And, and again, not in big ways, but in small, subtle ways. And so I think our so what is that I just want to come back to in this section, this, this so what for us to meditate on, to kind of tie a nice little bow on the end of Jude 5 through 10, is that we have a good judge. We have a good lawgiver. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. We have a, a good high priest. We have a good, like, I think what I want to tie a nice little boat on is it's only a good thing to be a law unto yourself if there isn't a good and better law out there. 
But God is good and does good. Jesus is good and does good. The Spirit is good and does good. And when we allow them to do what they are meant to do, what 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 the Creator was always meant to do, which is to be the... I think we'll see a judge who who judges rightly. I think we'll see a law that is created to bring about equity and righteousness and goodness. I think that we will see humility on our part, which is a beautiful and a redemptive thing that we can do. I think we'll see that if we allow if we make sure we place ourselves under the righteous decrees and the freedom and allow Jesus to sit on his throne, I think what we'll find is a greater good and beauty and truth than we could have ever created for ourselves. And I want that. And I think you want that too. And so our big so what for us is just to, I think, to lean into Jesus as judge, Jesus as king, Jesus as declarer of what is good and right. And as you lean into that, to see that the beauty and the goodness and the truth that oozes out of that kingdom is, is quite something to behold. It's a good and beautiful right kingdom that we belong to because we have a good, beautiful and right judge and king establishing and maintaining this kingdom that we live in. All right, friends, if nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. Way more importantly, the perfect judge and king is crazy about you. Peace.